Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanorkas. Welcome to our latest episode, where we'll be discussing the latest news in the world of Formula One. And joining me to do that are two of my regular guests. First up, it's Autosports F1 reporter Luke Smith. How are you, Luke? Yeah, doing well, thank you, Alex. Um, yeah, lockdown is uh, the same old, same old. I'm convinced I'm going to end up looking like Krusty the Clown by the time of the end. lockdown ends, the way my hair's going kind of outwards. But uh, we'll see, we'll plod on. There's Formula One to talk about, so at least that keeps us busy, I guess. Uh, and also joining us is Motorsport.com's F1 editor, Jonathan Noble. How are you, John? Are you starting to resemble any Simpsons characters? Not a Simpsons character, I definitely need a haircut because it's just hit that, um, hit that length where it gets quite annoying. Normally during when things are normal, I get a certain length and then it gets too long for my motorbike helmet or my cycle helmet. But being trapped inside means there's no no helmet length coefficient needing to balance, but it is too long now, so it needs a cut. Well, honestly, I mean, I could talk about haircuts all day, but I doubt the listeners uh, would want to. So let's move on to, uh, to today's episode, where again, we're going to be discussing three topics from the past week of F1 News on the latest edition of the podcast, uh, which is again part of our new weekly offering uh, leading up to the start of the new season. Now, first up is a topic that's only just really emerged, and it concerns Carlos Sainz Jr. getting his first taste of driving Ferrari F1 machinery. With F1 preseason testing limited to just three days with a single car, any driver who switched teams over the off-season, such as Sainz at Ferrari, his replacement, Daniel Ricciardo at McLaren and Sebastian Vettel at Aston Martin, they're only going to be getting a day and a half of seat time in total working with their new team's new car before the season starts, because of course with one car on track chain testing, it's got to be split equally across the two drivers, although of course that way will happen a little bit differently at Williams, not that they've got a new driver to get up to speed, but the, uh, the news breaking that their uh, sort of test and reserve driver, Roy Nassani, is going to get a whole day in the car 
well with the race drivers just getting uh, one each so it's still equal but you know they, they are both missing half a day compared to some of the other teams and um, but science has been working with ferrari at its marinello factory since joining at the close of the 2020 season as well as completing some runs in its simulator the team has now moved to give him time in one of its older f1 cars at a private test which is allowed as long as it's a two-year-old car so Autosport understands that Science will sample a Ferrari F1 car for the first time at Fiorano next Wednesday as part of a wider program for the team using its private test track, which also involves Charles Leclerc and Ferrari's academy drivers. Now, Luke, you wrote the story breaking that news with our colleague from motorsport.com Italy, Roberto Kinkaro. So what does this mean for Science's preparation for the new season? It's obviously, it's not the, the latest Ferrari car. It's not the 2020 car. Okay, yeah, the 2021 car is going to be massively similar there's been some pretty significant uh, changes to the floor but you know it's 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 these first time using the ferrari systems not in anger but at least in the real world so how helpful do you think this will be for him massively and i think that even though it's not the 2021 car or even anything like the the new the new car coming i think it's it is a very it's a very important test for him just to get up to speed really and just to embed with his race engineer with his race crew and everyone that he's going to be working with during his time at ferrari because pre-season testing obviously normally six days so you split it three and three but as you said at the top of the show it's going to be one and a half each for most of the teams um not only is it important to get up to speed with the new car, but also with the people and with the whole team environment that you're going to be in. And Science, he's already been at the Marinello factory quite a lot, as you said, of doing work in the simulator and things like that. So that that opportunity, I think, for him to really have uh, two days of testing, he's going to be doing the Wednesday and the Thursday at Fiorano, that is a really big opportunity for him to hit the track, just work with everybody around him. And even though he's using the 2018 car, um, they could have used the 2019 car, but the 2018 car is readily available because they did some tests at Fiorano last year with the uh, the Young Driver Academy. Um, but it's, it's just a really good opportunity for him to get up to speed. So uh, yeah, I think it's less about having a representative car experience, but more about the team environment, everyone around him, everyone he's going to be working with through this season. So that um, by the time he does, jump in the 2021 car for the very first time he knows everybody he knows how all the systems work and he's able just to focus on extracting the maximum performance out of that new car i uh, think you answered uh, one of my follow-up questions there which was going to be you know oh, why 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 no no not at all well why not use the the the, the 2019 car or, or my question was you know was that going to be allowed because really when you think about it the 2021 cars that are coming on for this season are basically the same as the 2020 cars as i said earlier so it's just minor changes to the floor okay they're losing they think about 10 percent downforce although this being formula one they'll probably claw it back from somewhere else but it's just interesting to to, to see that, that that still remains an option which you know does make sense in terms of the in terms of the regulations um, but John, how tough is it going to be for all the drivers at new teams? And indeed, you know, we, you know, Yuki Tsunoda coming into AlphaTauri has no Formula One experience and he's coming in with the, the smallest amount of time possible, really, just a day and a half in the car, uh, official testing. I think he's going to get also a bit of private test running in an old, uh, what would be a Toro Rosso uh, Formula One car. But how hard is it going to be for these drivers that have made such big changes over the off season? I think immensely hard. We did some interviews with respect to Renault's technical chassis, technical director, Pat Fry, the end of last year. And we had a, a session with Andreas Stella and James Kit McLaren. And they were both adamant that um, pre-season testing next year is a big, big headache because it's three days, one and a half days each. That's not really enough time. And these days, um, so much of performance is down to optimizing elements of the package, optimizing the setup, optimizing the controls. And as Pat Fry pointed out, driving a 
uh, Renault engine in a Renault car is very different from driving a, a Renault engine in another car or a Mercedes engine in another car. How these power units integrate with different chassis and how the teams use them can be completely different. So there's a huge value in doing simulator. There's a huge value in understanding all the steering wheel settings, all the steering wheel buttons, understanding how the engineering briefings work, understanding how the engineers want to speak to you. Um, one of the bits of homework that Daniel Ricciardo was given by McLaren over the winter was some just radio traffic from races, which Daniel would sit down, he would listen to, uh, and a checklist at the end saying, what did you think about this communication? Is this how you want to be spoken to? How would you speak to us? What messages do you want from us? Do you not want from us? So the level of detail you're going to is immense. Uh, and if you've got one and a half days to, to test that, you can't waste time messing about steering wheels. You can't mess about um, with radio messages and getting all that right. Those days need to be about performance. You need to get into that car feeling like you've been a veteran already. Indeed. And obviously it puts an even greater premium on uh, reliability and making sure the cars run throughout those three days of testing because we've such limited time available. Any, any off track uh, or unexpected off track uh, time lost is, is going to hit the team pretty hard. And also, especially those drivers, as you say, getting up to speed with all their new teams. Um, but Luke, coming back to, to science in particular, you know, he's joining Ferrari in, in what is really a period of, of rebuilding. You know, it got Okay, hasn't won a title in 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 years now. You know, think back to to um, Kimi Raikkonen in terms of the drivers' title in two thousand and seven. It got very very close in twenty eighteen, especially winning races and, and giving Mercedes a really hard time in twenty nineteen. But it's just it got, went so far backwards last year that it's really again got to work its way back to that stage. Do you think that that situation at Ferrari makes things harder or easier for Science to arrive and make his make his debut in what has been over the course of his F1 history, you know, a famously tough team to necessarily flourish for drivers? I think it makes it easier actually for his debut season. I think the fact that he's coming in off the back of Ferrari's worst season since 1980, I believe, and all the struggles going on, and it's kind of the the sort of feeling is that it can't really get much worse than it did last year. And he's coming in on a, a multi-year contract, which is something when he joined McLaren that he said was so so crucial to his stability and just that knowledge of not thinking as you would face when you were in part of the Red Bull Young Driver program that if you have one really bad race, it could be your last. You could be out completely um so he's got a two-year deal once again which is really really important and yeah there is kind of that that carryover of the cars that means that 2021 isn't going to be a mind-blowing season for ferrari they're not going to be back to their sort of race winning form of 2018 2019 so and i think he knows that so i think he he's he kind of sees it as an opportunity to come in and and learn without the pressure of that you've got to be on pole position you've got to be winning races from day one as there would have been and probably as as charles leclerc had when he he joined ferrari even with as such a young driver there was always that pressure right from day one but science doesn't really have that so i think i think that's a good thing and and we we spoke at the end of uh, end of last season, sort of looking ahead to joining Ferrari, and he said that he did see 2022 as being the big opportunity because that will be his second year in the team. And he said that you look at all drivers in their second years with the team. You look at Ricardo with Renault last year. You look at Lewis Hamilton when he was with Mercedes, or even Leclerc at Ferrari. That their second year has tended to see them bring out better performances than their first within a team. So he's kind of thinking about that. He's got that in his mind. That's a really good opportunity for him to make that step forward then. And also that coincides with the new regulations as well, which is obviously so important for Ferrari's uh, rebuild and fight back. I think they know that 
that this car, even with all the power unit issues they've had, that aerodynamically is fundamentally flawed. So I think the look is to those new regs in 2022 for that to be the big turning point for them and to get back towards the front. And I think, uh, yeah, come the start of the 2022 season, I think then that expectation will be their four sites. But uh, yeah, I think he's coming into an environment that's very, very different to, uh, I guess, the sort of uh, the more pressured environment there would have been for maybe drivers in the past but he's under no illusions that this is ferrari and he's got the italian media he's got the expectations the whole of italy really on him as well so it's uh yeah there will be pressure but maybe not as much as uh, his predecessors might have had indeed well john what do you what do you think do you agree with luke there do you think science has got a, a slightly easier uh case on his hands considering the sort of state of flux that ferrari's in at the moment yeah, I mean, the pressure of arriving at a team that's battling for the World Championship and then you having to, to deliver to that level going up against someone like Charles Leclerc would be immense. And if you didn't perform instantly, you know, the Italian press would be all over you. Um, kind of a similar scenario, I think you, you could find as to one of the reasons why Mercedes don't want to promote George Russell to Mercedes too early that um, we ran some Toto Wolf quotes from interview at the end of last year, just suggesting that, you know, arriving in a top team isn't about being the fastest and being the best. It's about minimising the mistakes. And it's the consistency that's been one of Lewis Hamilton's core strengths is that he doesn't make mistakes. Sure, he has days where, you know, maybe he could have done a slightly better job, but there are no really off days. There are no times where he gets things wrong. Uh, and Valtteri Bottas faces that pressure of going up against it. So signs, you know, it's a rebuilding time. He's got a, a long time to do it. Um, I think... You know he'll thrive in that environment, and he's he's done it at McLaren. He's arrived in the team. He grew a lot there. James Key has talked about you know rapid steps forward. Um, he saw the same thing at Toro Rosso, and I'm sure he's going to do the same thing at Ferrari. Well, the sort of the, the flip side of this discussion about the limited testing impacting a new driver at a team, you know the the, the, the incumbent Charles Leclerc, he's going to be driving essentially a car that he's already had a year's experience with. Okay, as I keep reminding us you know there's big changes to the floors things will look slightly different but in essence to keep costs down the teams you know they're, they're, they're keeping the same uh, cars from last year as we know for a long time so Luke do you think that hands him a significant advantage in that cliched you know the first person every driver F1 driver wants to beat is their teammate do you think that gives him a, an, an early upper hand over his new teammate? Oh completely yeah and I think that that dynamic is going to be really really interesting to watch because I think science after having such a good relationship with Lando Norris and those two being so evenly matched I think how he fares up against the clerk is going to be really really fascinating I think that will probably say a lot for both of their sort of stock within the F1 world because both of them have been very much on the rise for the past couple of years so I think really something has got to give one way or another but um look um Science has already said that he gets on really well with the clerk, that they have a good relationship. They've obviously been talking throughout last year about plans for Ferrari once Science joins. So I think that there's maybe not going to be some of the tension that there was between uh, the clerk and Bettel at points. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think Science will be under no illusions that Leclerc is going to know that car very, very well. Obviously, the whole team is really whether, I mean, whatever science says about and whatever Matteo Bonotto may say about no number one driver. Leclerc's the man with the long term contract. Leclerc's really the sort of driver I think that Ferrari are going to be building their long term future around. So I think that it's, um, I think science, if he can get close to Leclerc in the early part of this season, I think that would be really, really good. I think that we're not going to be seeing him regularly beating the clerk unless something dramatic happens um, through through the early part of this year. But it's, uh, yeah. But again, I think he knows that. I, don't, I think he's 
a very he's very switched on. He's not coming into Ferrari saying that he's going to be winning championships or winning races or anything like that. I think that he just wants to try and deliver the best he can. And uh, we saw at McLaren when there were not really any expectations on him, just how well he could perform. And I think it's maybe a bit of a similar situation uh, coming into this season, uh, particularly in that fight up against the clerk. Indeed. Well, let's move on to our next topic for discussion on the podcast. And actually, this takes us back a few weeks to the news that you broke, John, that former Suzuki MotoGP team manager Davide Brivio would join Alpine in a senior management position. Now, that has now happened uh, with the team announcing last Sunday that he will become Alpine's racing director and will report directly to the sports car manufacturer's newly appointed CEO, Laurent Rossi. So, John, is that a slightly different position to what we thought he might well be arriving into at Alpine? And also, what does a racing director do to in an F1 squad, if we could explain that for the listeners? Yeah, it's slightly intriguing what's going on at Alpine because um, obviously we got wind that Brivier was going there and there was going to be a, a bit of a reshuffle with Cyril Abitable moving moving on to an- another role and um, Brivier coming in and Martin Bukowski stepping up. But, and in the end, there was a strange announcement that Cyril was out with immediate effect, which was quite a strange thing um, to announce anyway, because normally these things are quite well planned and there's transitions, but this was a press release one day and the, the CEO was, Lauren Rossi was taken over the next day. So that was slightly strange. And then on Sunday morning, which is often, I think, a very random time to make an announcement, I think it was 9, 9.30, I was having a cup of tea. I was still in bed. <laughs> still in bed at 9.30? Luxury. <laughs> Yeah, and then my uh, just got a WhatsApp message saying Brivio confirmed as racing director, so which is slightly strange timing for it. And also at the very bottom of the release was, um, I think, his exact role and responsibilities to be defined. So I just wonder if there's some more to this story than they've let on at the moment in terms of the kind of defining where he fits into the role, what his responsibilities will be. Will it be a team without a team principal? Will they just have Brivio as its racing director and Martin stays as executive director and they they run things that way or will there be a further shuffle but um there's been no official communication yet about you know how that's all panning out longer term um but we've heard from Esteban Ocon today he was doing some you know two demo runs on the Monte Carlo rally in Alpine uh, he said he's had a lot of conversations with both Rossi and Brivio both very humble both very motivated both determined to do it so I'm sure for the team it makes not much difference because they've got the the right people there they know what's being planned. They know what's going forward. They know what they need to do. Um, but I think in terms of how it's presented to the public and where those where the lines of responsibility kind of start and end, may well we may well have to wait till the launch time to find out what's really going on. Indeed. Well, Luke, what do you think about the sort of the timing of all that's going on at Alpine at the moment? I mean, essentially, it's exactly the same team that it was last year as Renault. It's just got a different name. They're promoting a different bit of the of the, the big Renault alliance that they want they want to do, as is their want, as the only F1 team. But to be making all these management changes, you know, given 2021 is, is something of a sort of a stopgap year for Formula One. The, the new cars were supposed to be on track already this season, but the, the pandemic meant that that wasn't possible. So is it the right time for this to be happening? If, if, you know, really, we're, it's just a, it's almost like 2020B this season when you think about it. So we, you shouldn't really expect massive changes in terms of competitiveness when everybody's got their eye on making a big step next year. I think it's the perfect time for it for that exact reason. I think the fact that there isn't the expectation that Renault... Huh, Alpine uh, this year will be punching right up there with the likes of Mercedes and Red Bull and fighting for race wins because as you say it's going to be probably pretty much a a repeat of last year we're going to see that I think tight midfield battle for third once again being sort of the the main thing 
thing that they can achieve. I think that therefore is the perfect time actually to make all of these changes and get everything working perfectly as, as with any rebrand, as with any sort of new management that comes in, there's always going to be a bit of a period of adjustment and sort of getting used to how things work. And I think the fact that they've already got an entire season of that, where they can get everything working as they want it until they go into 2022 and say, right, we know, we know everybody, everyone knows their roles and we know who answers to who and how everything works. Therefore, we can set proper goals this season. We don't have to worry about that kind of um, uh, that sort of calibration period, I, I guess you could call it. I think that's something that is. Um, I think it's a very good step. I think I think by Alpine to get all of these changes in now, it's better than doing it right before the start of the 2022 season when there would be that expectation to perform. I don't think there is so much pressure going into this year. So it's a bit of a similar situation to science, to be honest, that really there's not that same level of we must perform from day one in 2021 because ultimately they know sort of the limitations and where things are. So I think that, I think, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. I think sort of the, the renolution, I believe was how they called it during the, the presentation. I think it's interesting to see what they're doing with Alpine and that they've made all of these wholesale changes really uh, in, in one go. I think it's, um, yeah, I think it's a good sort of, it's a good clean break. I think it's a nice sort of fresh start for the team and uh, we'll hopefully set them up for a really competitive 2022. Well, I think our colleague Jake Boxall-Leg would have been proud of that uh, Renault-Lucian pun, as it were. He's, he's, a, he's a big lover of puns and we we tolerate him for doing that. Um, but guys, let's move on to our last uh, our last topic for discussion today, and that concerns a Red Bull. We've seen this week that Sergio Perez has made his first media appearance in his new colours as he visited the team's Milton Keynes base to get acquainted with his new surroundings. And um, now We chatted about Perez and his chances of going up against Max Verstappen on last week's news podcast. But what I really wanted to ask you guys about were the comments that Verstappen made about Red Bull. I think, John, it was an interview you did with Verstappen at the end of last season. And basically, he said he thinks the team would have been as dominant as Mercedes has been since 2014 uh, in the last seven seasons had the switch to run turbo hybrid engines in F1 not happened. Now, that, of course, would have extended Red Bull's own run of domination, given it was the hot form team between t- uh, 2010 and those engines being used for the first time, as I said, at the start of 2014. And his exact quotes were, To be honest with you, I think if at the end of 2013, if the regulations wouldn't have changed, I think Red Bull could have done the same if the V6 wasn't introduced. It's just, I think in a way, it came perfect for them. That's Mercedes. Of course, you know, the V6 era, they prepared very early on. They were very well equipped with a good power unit from the start. And that, of course, initially, I think, really helped them a lot. So basically, Verstappen's coming around and saying, it was that, you know, they had a long lead time. They knew what they were doing. They now had the engine regulations and they took off. And of course, that is what happened. But the final point I want us to chat about that is, do you agree with that, John? What, what, what were you thinking when Verstappen made those comments in that interview? Yeah, I think I think you'll look at, at two aspects. One is that I don't think Max is suggesting that Mercedes has had the best engine all this time and they've only won this championship because of the engine, because he, he doesn't. he's not really suggesting that. But I think what, what he's pointing more towards is that the, the, when the regulations changed, it took away... Um, a dominance that Red Bull had under the, the old formula. They'd, they'd mastered the aerodynamics. They'd mastered the, um, what first of all, the, the blown floors. Um, they'd mastered um, the way to kind of exploit these old cars uh, and were on top of their form. And Mercedes at that stage, you know, if the engines hadn't changed, probably would not have been able to, to get onto the back of them back then because that team wasn't as brilliant as it is now. But I think as, as the regulations have evolved, uh, the Mercedes engine dominance has, you know, the others have caught up. Uh, and I think now you can't put Mercedes dominance down just down to the engine because their car is, has been the best very often, was definitely the best car last year. Um, 
so I think that even if the rules had stayed the same, I think we would have seen Mercedes evolve and become you know a strong team, potentially a championship winning team. Um, so I don't think we would have seen seven straight Red Bull championships, but I think there would have been a, a transition and perhaps, you know, Red Bull would have had seven consecutive titles up to 16, 17 or something. And then we, we would start have started the Mercedes era later. But I think definitely, you know, Mercedes have mastered, mastered the circumstance of the turbo hybrid rules just as well as Red Bull mastered the, the final years of the V8 regulations. Yeah, that's the interesting thing to consider, really, in the, in the rise of Mercedes. Because obviously when it first came back as a works team, taking over from Braun, it, was, it wasn't all that great. You know, in 2010, took a big step back from winning both world titles. 2011, not really much progress. Then gets winning in 2012. And then in 2013, it's very fast, but it's famously very, very tough on its tyres. It's sort of operational mistakes. The team's just, it's sort of, it's good. It's getting there. It's coming on, but it's not quite the the finished product that Red Bull was was wielding so, so well. So Luke, what do you think about that suggestion about, you know, Mercedes potentially was, was building up to something bigger and better, but I think it can't be underestimated. And, and obviously, you know, we're, t- we're talking sort of hypotheticals here. It's just it's just for fun on a podcast. Why not? It's January. It's dark. It's cold. We're all turning into Simpsons characters. Do you think that the 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 push of winning so well in 2014 with though with, with you know on the, from the boost that the engines gave them? Do you think that sort of not to use it as a part, but do you think it did turbocharge Mercedes into being a better Formula One team? I think it definitely played a role, yeah, because they have, they they have, I mean, that was the year that everything changed and they did become this sort of dominant force and, and so successful. But I think the, the thing is that Mercedes have, they've always developed and they've always grown and they've never, ever rested on their laurels or anything like that. They've always adjusted and adapted and they've had, they, they've had so many things thrown at them and they've still been dominant and they've still won. We had the, the regulation change in 2017 that was really sort of meant to, to bring Mercedes back in and rein them back in and they still won and still dominated. We had the further aero changes in 2019 that really were suited to Red Bull and to try and get them back in the picture as well. And again, Mercedes have been dominant ever since. And really everything that's been thrown at Mercedes, they've just they've just learned from and, and they've dealt with it. So I think that I think, yeah, that, that 2014 season, I think that was very important in terms of learning to win because ultimately it does sort of bring its own stresses and, and its own situations that really you don't get without winning. I mean, such as teammates. So how do you deal with two ultra competitive teammates? That obviously was such a, a defining part of that era with Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg. So I think that that would have brought its own sort of lessons and uh, and things with it. So yeah, I think it was important, but I think those lessons would have come no matter how dominant it was. Like I think the fact that, I, I think as John said, I think that without this regulation change, I think you would have seen a transition period because Mercedes ultimately have just been such a well-oiled machine and have, have got such a strong corporate culture as well in terms of learning from their mistakes, no blame culture and things like that, that it's meant that they have been able to, I guess, sort of just take step after step. And even when they see rivals catching up or they have rule changes or anything like that, they just learn and they deal with it. So I think, yeah, I think Max's comment, I think I see where he's coming from, but I still think that Mercedes operationally would have in the end caught Red Bull and overhauled them anyway. And I think that it's, um, it's a feeling that I think from some teams is the idea that Adrian Newey never builds a bad car, that every car he builds must be the best. But actually you could argue that really Mercedes have taken that title away from him in recent years because they've been so strong and they don't have the sort of skittish issues that Red Bull had, particularly through last season. So, so yes, I think that it's, um, it's, 
I think that Mercedes would have got there eventually, maybe not so quickly without that, um, the introduction of the V6 hybrids, but just the way they operate now, it's, it's really hard to see. Yeah. It's really hard to sort of see them not getting there in the end, just because they're so, so strong on that operational side. And so another interesting aspect of this discussion is, is to think about Ferrari in the mix as well, because we look back on the, the decade that just concluded. And if you look at it on paper, Red Bull dominated the first half and Mercedes absolutely dominated the sort of the second half or, you know, the, from, from 2014 onwards. And, but we, I think we, looking back on it, that, that, that sort of downplays how good Ferrari was, especially at the beginning of the, of the year, you know, McLaren was up there as well in 2010. Um, all those drivers could have won going into the season finale, uh, Fernando Alonso, could have won the title. It went right to the last race, to the last few laps at Brazil in 2012, which we've never seen at any point in the Mercedes era. All the title deciders or the few title deciders at the last race that has happened when Mercedes has been dominant has just been those their two drivers fighting it out. There's been no other team in play. And it doesn't take too much to have gone differently for Red Bull only to have won two titles. And, and Alonso would be a two-time Ferrari world champion. You think about how differently that would have changed potentially everything in Formula One. Would Ferrari be in a better shape than it is now? It's currently, as Luke said, coming off a, a terrible performance in 2020, having got so high and close to Mercedes the year before. Yeah, I think what, I think one fact you can't underestimate in this business is kind of the, the psychology of having a, a success behind you. You know, is Sergio Perez a better driver today because he won in Sakir last year or not? The answer is no, he's not because, you know, it's the same driver who won that race. If he'd been crashed out on lap one, he would be exactly the same driver, but he wouldn't have had this, you know, the headline results and Red Bull wouldn't have kind of seen this this man win a race and think, you know, the momentum's now there, would be foolish not to take him. And I think it's the same, you know, if Ferrari had won those championships with Fernando, it would have built a confidence within the team. It would have you know, put a uh, monkey off their back about the title. Um, it wouldn't have been the, the pressure on them in that early kind of turbo hybrid phase when things weren't working that, you know, it looked like that championship wasn't going to come. So, you know, small little things, little incidents, uh, you know, Fernando getting trapped behind Petrov in Abu Dhabi, you know, these can have huge ramifications longer term because you don't win the title and the pressure's on even greater the following season to win the title. And then when that doesn't happen, when... Sebastian Vettel is, you know, so, so lucky in the Brazil finale when he gets hit on the opening lap and that car survives and he hangs on. These tiny little elements, it, you know, it's luck on one afternoon, but, you know, you add four or five bits of luck together and it, and it changes the whole era in Formula One. Indeed. And Luke, do you think that, you know, all this talk about how, you know, big regulation changes do shake up the competitive order. It wasn't just 2014 where that happened. As we said, it happened in, in 2009 with Braun. You look back, you know, Ferrari's era was ended by the change to to just run, using one set of tyres in, in the race in 2005. And, it, and it, does, it does roll back through the cycles of Formula One. Do you think that raises hopes and potentially expectations that something similar could happen next year with with the only caveat being that there was a, a pretty big rule change at the start of 2017 and Mercedes kept on flying. But do you think hopes are, are raised because of, of how big the changes coming next year are? Oh, completely. Yeah. And I think it was the same for 2017. I think it was the same even in 2019 that the hope was that those rule changes would lead to the shakeup of the competitive order and that Mercedes would would be pulled back. But I think that is the hallmark of just why Mercedes are so good and 
I think arguably the greatest team in Formula One history is because every time there is a rule change, they just get on with it. They adapt. They're still dominant. And I think that I think that nevertheless, I think there will still be that hope going into 2022 that things will change. And I think that this is a is a bit different this time around because the whole point of it is to bring the whole pack closer together, is to make the racing better. The budget cap coming in as well is is really really important. So I think that all of these changes together, I think maybe it's a bit it's a bit different as opposed to just saying let's just shake things up and hope that it leads to Mercedes being reined in. I think that it is really designed this time to lead to a a much more competitive Formula One field as a whole. So I think that, yeah, I think we will still nevertheless see that hope. I think there will be the sort of the come, well, hopefully Australia uh, 2022. I think that's going to be a really fascinating weekend because I think everyone will be on tenterhooks to see what actually the the pecking order is. And I'm sure it's similar for all of the opening races of, of all of the regulation changes that we've really had. But yeah, I think that's, um, I think we'll definitely get to a point where there'll, there'll be that hope that things will change. But the way Mercedes keep on working, it's just, it's really hard to see unless they get something dramatically wrong, how they won't still be the gold standard and how they won't still be at the high level. And I think it is really on the likes of Red Bull, Ferrari to up their game and try and match Mercedes in those departments so they can, uh, they can really capitalise and get a head start once those new regs do come in. Indeed. Well, guys, we better, we better leave it there. Thanks to the two of you coming on the podcast today. And of course, thanks to everybody listening along. Now, just before we go, we'd like to remind you that the latest issue of Autosport magazine came out on Thursday and will be available on the supermarket shelves and in newsagents, as well as on the doormats of subscribers. There'll be a new issue of the magazine for you to pick up every Thursday, packed full of news, analysis and the usual stunning photography. And of course, if you want unlimited access to Autosport from the comfort of your home, visit autosport.com slash plus to find out how to subscribe to our digital package. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Autosport Podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Message and data rates may apply. Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. 
people all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's B-A-S-Y to 203203. Sports Social Podcast Network.